It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Welcome to another edition of Reliving the War. It is the show that we do exactly what it says on the tin and relive the Monday Night Wars between WWF and WCW. 1996 is in the books. We're rapidly barreling through 1997. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Simon Tackler. Simon, 1997, WCW and WWF have kind of lived up to the hype. We sort of see, we saw in 97, we were sort of when we first started this, we're like, yeah, you know, let's see how this goes. But it's been bubbling along, and we're not quite at the boiling point of the Attitude Era and the peak of the NWO, but we're very, very close. I think we're we're reaching the sweet spot, though, the cross section of because we've gone through where maybe WWE will have a better pay per view, but WCW obviously has the biggest storylines and the star power. Late '97. Both shows are almost in the same position of big stars and good matches and good stories. So I'm glad we muscled through 96 <laughs> and early 97 to get here where we now have two good pay-per-views to watch every month. It's really, really cool. It is really, really awesome. And a man that didn't live through the WCW rise back in the day, mainly because I'm guessing he was still wearing nappies at the at the time, is our great friend Owen Jones, aka Digital Beard. Owen, welcome back to Reliving the War. And as we do to, as with every introduction with each pay-per-view, Fall Brawl 1997. How old were you, brother? Firstly, Nims and Simon, say it, say it. But that's just a precursor to the main event. I was. So for Brawl 1997 was on. This is a live segment, by the way, friends. Mm -hmm. September 14th, 1997. I was two years old and five days. (laughs) This was almost. So for Brawl is your your birthday pay-per-view. I was really hoping it fell on my birthday. (laughs) Um, but speaking of falling, in about eight months' time, I break my leg from falling off a slide. So we're like prime territory for Owen right now. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a good time. But well, yeah, so I, I would have, um, you know, would have been walking around, chilling with my golden locks in the northern suburbs of Reservoir. <laughs> well, now here's the thing that uh, you might not have noticed because, like, you know, we, we often see nowadays – Themed pay-per-views, you know, uh, TLC, obviously, is when they have TLC matches, da-da-da-da-da. Um, Survivor Series is the only one time that Raw and SmackDown go head-to-head. Well, WCW also sort of had a themed run of pay-per-views in terms of, like, Fall Brawl is traditionally the War Games one. Now, if it was 2021, it'd be like, WCW War Games, and that's basically it. Was yeah. It was the subtitle here, and let's start off with the intro to this one, because... It's we've we've mentioned numerous times, Simon, that WWF constantly outdo 
WCW when it comes to these intros. I thought this one was actually pretty good. It was pretty bare bones, but it set everything up. It was just a recap of the Horseman's rebuttal to that infamous NWO mocking Arn Anderson retirement spot. And what do you think of that one? I thought it was too short again and underproduced. It was just two clips of two promos put together to fill 30 seconds. But in terms of the content that was there, it's great because Flair's promo, his rebuttal to that segment is great. And that parody, the NWO parody of the Horseman, is all time. I know DX would do some famous parodies down the line and other people have done them uh, in the future from this. But this is almost the gold standard for how mean it was. Kevin Mm. Nash's Arn Anderson is brutal. Getting into Arn Anderson's alleged alcoholism and just, it is rough, but it is so good. So just, we'll throw it to you for a second, Owen, before we move on, because first off, in the grand scheme of things, how much did you know about that famous NWO parody of The Horseman? Now, see, I've been a busy man the past two weeks. I'd actually planned to watch the Nitros between Road Wild and Fall Brawl, mm-hmm. but I ran out of time. So I would have, so I'm actually, I'm actually going to go back to that, like to those, those Nitros and actually watch them because I actually want to see them now. Um, I really enjoyed the intro video, though. I actually wrote down that it was a really cool intro video. Yeah, it was short, but I like how it was like throughout the date. Or like the first thing you see is the date of the Nitro, and then Flair like losing his mind. They cut in between parts of um of the mocking promo. Um, I mean, it, it explained everything, didn't it? There was a thirty little, as I said last episode, it was like those home and away ads in the late nineties. Explains the whole storyline in thirty seconds, and you're caught up to date, and you're good to go which is something that they didn't do in the past, especially in WCW. Like, WWF would always craft that narrative of a first-time uh, watcher to the product would go, all right, now I'm up to speed. Whereas WCW would be like, who is Lex Luger and why is he taking on the giant? Uh, so we'll then get straight to the uh, the pay-per-view. No Dusty Rhodes on commentary. It's just Mike Tanay, Tony, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, now, did you know, did you, Simon, you're pretty good with the research aspect of it. Do you know why there was no Dusty for this pay-per-view? No, I've tried having a look. I couldn't find it. All I could find is that he does return for the next pay-per-view. So don't worry. We are going to have to go through some Zabisco, but it's not permanent <laughs> because Zabisco <laughs> also rocks up. I do want to say what was interesting about their intro. So we got the, the announcers running down the show as usual for a WCW show. Mike Tanay says that on Monday they announced the teams for the War Games match. Are you telling me they didn't tell you who was in the match until the Nitro before it? That seems really like last minute. It does, but when we look at um, Fall Brawl 96, they kind of also did the same thing there. So they've, I'll give them a bit of leeway because it's, because yes, because previously it'd be like, oh, it's the Horseman versus the Dungeon of Doom. So you knew what you were getting. But um, this time around, I think in NWO land, you know, it's chaos in WCW. It's just absolutely <laughs> chaos. That's what it is. But um, yeah, a three-man commentary team. Uh, Larry Zabisco does join later on. And oh, and I'm sure that you'd be loving uh, the the thought of Larry Zabisco on commentary. Um, I we'll get to that note later in my in, <laughs> in, in the show. But here's the thing, right? Obviously, being a youngster, the 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 youngster that I am, and not really looking into. Like, I research a lot of things, but it's usually Japanese wrestling. It's not really WCW. I'd never seen Mike Tanay until this moment. Oh, wow. I imagine this story like, like, 
You never saw him in TNA? No. I on the commentary that. team with on the commentary team with Taz? Or Don I West? was like eight when he was on <laughs> TNA. <laughs> I didn't see this. Oh yeah, I guess I was, that was before your time too. I was, I was, I was out in the, I was out in the backyard pretending I was winning grand finals for Geelong playing football. <laughs> oh, that wasn't like TNA. Um, yeah, I did not imagine him to look with like the weird like ponytail mullet. I imagine it's this like scrawny little nerdy guy who was like in his mid like early thirties, not like some guy in his like late forties. This is. This I was genuinely good. shocked. And this probably sounds, people listening going, you're an idiot. Like, how do you call yourself a wrestling fan? Well, this is the funny thing because, like, it, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard from you because, like, well, Simon and I, we've had, like, over 30 years of knowing what Mike Tanay looks <laughs> like. Know, so, exactly. it's like <laughs> so it's just like, huh? Well, see, I started, because like, when I started watching wrestling, I was I started watching, I was introduced to WWF by my cousin. I didn't know what WCW was. Yeah. Yeah, which is scary when you think that. Uh, which is it's it's which is which is what's so cool about what the, the wrestling era that we're in now. The sense yeah. that there is so, there's an entire generation that didn't know that there's other companies out there. But look, let's get straight to the WCW because this is the part uh, where we get into the meat and potatoes off the pay per view. We have a WCW Cruiserweight Championship match. It is Jericho versus Eddie. Um, also, one of the f- first jarring things that you would see if you've never seen a War Games pay per view is that the two rings. Uh, did that take you by surprise? I want to, or you obviously knew that there was two rings for the war game setup. Well, yeah, I well I remember a couple of years ago when NXT did the three the three ring war games. Three, it was two, two rings, still two. I thought I thought they did three. No, WWE yeah. rings are, are double the size of WCW rings, so it looks uh, more impressive. For yeah. some reason, for some reason, I thought they did a three ring one. Maybe Could I'm be World War Three, you're thinking of, because that is. Oh, the that was god awful! Coming. But no, yeah, no, I've seen war game stuff before, so yeah, it is. Um, mm. it is interesting. Um, I'm, I, I, re- I really like, and I, I forgot to mention the past few times I've, I've been doing these WCW shows with you guys. I love how Mike Pencer at the start of every pay per view goes, um, like you know, for this one, four brawl begins with cruiserweight title match. Mm. I love it. Everybody should do it when they're introducing a wrestling show. I think it's really cool. So, yeah, it is two rings because of War Games, uh, which is a rather impressive sort of sight. It does look a little bit jarring at first if you've never seen a War Games match before. Uh, a little thing that I forgot to mention when we talked about the intro, at this point in time, Roddy Piper is the commissioner of WCW, so that is one to note. He's obviously made his uh, return, well, his debut for WCW uh, at, st- at, at the tail end of 1996. One thing that stands out, Absolutely like a sore thumb is that Chris Jericho has his break the walls down, a variation of that theme. Mm. Now, this is where he sort of had that weird um what was the actual theme song? Was this his Pearl Jam ripoff? Yeah, the Pearl Jam one, which they dub over now. Yeah, so that'd be why he doesn't have his cool 90s sitcom intro uh theme here. And I guess that even a sound-alike Pearl Jam theme requires maybe some form of clearance from Pearl Jam, maybe, and the network didn't want to um fledge out some cash for it but uh, yeah look the thing the other thing that i really noticed from the start was eddie guerrero now we've seen a fair bit of eddie guerrero matches in the time that we've been doing reliving the war is it just me or does eddie have a little bit more edge here did you happen to notice that simon that he he seems to be playing a little bit more of a character than just the not white meat baby face because he was never that but he seemed a bit more bland in the previous time we saw him well, this feels yeah. like a new Eddie Guerrero. He had been gone yeah. for a little bit, and now this is the Eddie Guerrero most people remember. This is the start 
of the rest of Eddie Guerrero's career. He's got the the mullet. He's super oily. He's in mm-hmm. way better shape. He's not wearing the weird singlet. It's tights only. And he's acting like a heel. And I think that's the, the weird thing with Eddie Guerrero. You can take your pick. Was he a better heel or face? He was great at both. But this is the heel persona that would lead to everything else. And geez, he's good. Like mm. he, yeah, steals this match right out of the gate with his performance because Eddie Guerrero was over in 96, but he was over for being just a great in-ring wrestler. Here yep. he brings the other side of that and it's the uh, the performance and everything else. You're really seeing a little bit more of Eddie's personality here too. Uh, Chris Jericho is also sort of transitioning uh, from that white man, come on, baby, yeah, how good is it to be wrestling kind of. He also has a bit of personality. So, like, this is a, a stellar match between the two. Uh, a nice bit of showmanship between them both, I thought. And it it wasn't your generic cruiserweight match. And I felt that WCW sort of fell into that trap a little bit. Like, oh, and you've seen a couple of these pay-per-views and you do it. Pro- it's probably the best because you watch it out of context. So you can sort of see, I don't know, patterns and things like that. Mm. Compare this to other opening cruiserweight matches that have been in WCW pay-per-views. There's something just a little bit different with Eddie and Jericho, isn't there? Yeah. As soon as I saw it was Eddie and Jericho opening, I was really excited. Um, yeah, this match was, yeah, as you said, it was slightly different. Um, to your point, Simon, I did, one of my notes in this match is, is there anything better than heel Eddie Guerrero? Like, it's just the most obvious statement about wrestling in that era from like this until his passing. But heel Eddie is just something else. Like, the man was so good at being a heel. Like, just beats anything ever in wrestling. Um, but yeah, this, this match was great because it was like a little bit high fly, but it was very, very stiff. Um, and it was just a perfect mix of wrestling. I had your high flying spots, I had technical bits, it had cowardly stuff from like, like literally, like um, Eddie jumped out of the ring as, like as soon as mm. the, the the bell rung because the, the crowd were chanting something, and he just blocked his ears and ran away. Yeah, yeah Eddie, chanting, sucks, yeah. Eddie sucks. So he left the ring and cut <laughs> yeah, his ears. Like so good, amazing, so good, so good. Um, but yeah, though, like this when this match started progressing forward, like they were like these two were leaving everything out in the ring. Like they were just absolutely busting their ass to get this match over. Like they pretty much, I feel like they were just going out there and spoke to each other. They go, went, look, let's just we'll just burn the card. Like they didn't really burn the card, but like they just were yeah, awesome. they tore it up. This match was sick. Absolutely tore it up, and there were lots of near falls too. So, and the crowd just ate up every little bit too. Uh, what did mm. you think of the finish, Simon? Because it seemed it, the part that I love about this finish to the, to the match was it didn't seem planned. Like it does yeah. seem like like a genuine sort of sporting contest where Eddie's sort of like, "Hey, like you've stuffed up, so I'm going to capitalize." It yeah. felt natural. Yeah, it yeah. did. Um- I thought that was interesting because it almost felt like part of me was like, oh, no, the match didn't hit its peak. It was missing something. But then at the same time, it was like, no, it makes sense because sometimes if a match is real, why wouldn't it just end when you don't expect it to? And you would Mm -hmm. see that in older wrestling from the 80s and stuff, a match with, you know, Kurt Hennig or Bret Hart sometimes will just end in a roll-up because it's the Mm. struggle builds, 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 and a guy just wins. And I thought that's what they kind of went for here. It was really good. And and about this feeling different to the other Cruiserweight matches, I think the difference was Eddie Guerrero being the heel 
and pacing it differently. So instead of just being, you know, sort of lucha moves back and forth or technical moves back and forth, Eddie Guerrero was slowing it down in between all of the high spots with actual submissions. He wasn't just, he was a sleeper. He was doing surfboards and dragon sleepers. Then it would get up and then they'd run the ropes and do some stuff. This felt like the skeleton of a classic match. You know, we're not just going to do moves. We're going to have a real match. I thought it was really good. The best part about this match too is this isn't even the peak of Jericho and Eddie as wrestlers, but it was still so good. Like you can generally see like, Whoever was on message boards back in the day going, oh, these guys are going to be good one day, um, was really on the money. So, yeah, a stellar effort there from Jericho and Eddie. Do we uh, think Jericho-, Jericho, though? I just want to say on Jericho, yeah. like, being really good at this time, he obviously was. He was athletic, looked great. Everything was good. But every match we've seen of his feels like, just from Jericho's point of view, it because we know he would get even better, it feels slightly like a letdown to me every time we've seen Chris Jericho. And I love Chris Jericho. But just watching these matches back, in my head, I'm like, it's going to be even better than I think. And it never is. I don't know why. But obviously, we get to that point later. I think it's because the narrative is like, well, and I I honestly reckon it's probably because you're so used to, like, you know, the sour taste in which he left WCW, you know, after the, the aborted Goldberg feud and things like that. That um, you had this grandiose thing in your mind, like oh, he was one. Of, he was like he was the real diamond in the rough back then, and then he got rescued by WWF, and then he became the first undisputed champion. He was a mega star there, had these huge feuds, etc. When everyone always forgets that his first WWF run was wasn't that great. Took a while to get going. Yeah, it's true. But anyway, like w, like Jericho debuts in the WWF in 1999. It's only probably about 05 where where he re-debuts back, and it's 08 where he actually hits his peak. So it even took a he long acknowledges time. that too. Yeah, yeah. So so look, it's it's not that bad there. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to our next uh, match here. Well, not match, our next little segment. We've got Jeff Jarrett doing the WCWWrestling.com spot with the loudest typer in anyone in the history <laughs> of keyboards is back once again to do. And, Jer- and all I can say is Jeff Jarrett is doing some stellar pantomiming here. <laughs> that damn WCW online kid. He just like, he just annoys me, that little Weasley pimple face kid. Like, <laughs> And he's taking his, you can tell, like, he's, like, taking his job so seriously. He's, like, he asks those questions with such intent. So when he goes back to when he goes back to high school on Monday, going, who you see me on TV last night? That was <laughs> well, me, guys. He's taking it seriously because he probably thinks they're going to fire me at any second. Why would writing about wrestling on the internet ever be a real job, you know? Yeah, this isn't going to take he's, off. And he's, playing, he's playing Mozart on his laptop. Just <laughs> <laughs> it's, like... The best part is that I love how like Jeff Jarrett seems so committed to this role too. He's <laughs> he's like he's like you know going into full method acting here. <laughs> like he's legitimately reading out a question. Like even as they fade away from that shot, he's still going with answers. It's just it's so good. These little spots are so stupid, but in well, and they're stupid, I guess, because it's twenty twenty one and we know you know what on the online presence is like. But uh, they they were very. Nice little slice of the era that it was. What's uh, we then funny get on to too, it. though. Mm-hmm. Think think about the the progress we've made. We're back here. A fan had to ask Jeff Jarrett a question, and Jeff Jarrett would have to answer it, and this guy would type it. Now you can just tweet Jeff Jarrett directly and be like, 
hey, I think you suck, or, or like, hey, you're the best, and he'll get it. It's great. And then you get blocked. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I haven't been blocked by Jeff Jarrett because uh, he actually referred to me in one of the interviews that we did with him as my Twitter friend. <laughs> Ooh. See? Cut the middleman. No need for WCW when, guy. When you interviewed near 60-year-old Jeff Jarrett, did he still wear his uh, weird three braces <laughs> ring gear? You know what? It's actually quite funny, and you can look this up uh, on one of the one of our other podcast channels. The interview that Simon and I did, but Simon actually did bring up that weird gear, and Jared Jared is an ultimate carny. He's so good at what he does in terms of one getting you to hate him, and two actually making you care about matches. Because watch a Jeff Jarrett match. I don't care what anyone says; people do care, and there is some hate in that match. But he went and said, like, his his wasn't his um reasoning behind the whole thing. Simon is just like, it's like, why did I wear it? Because people are still talking about it now. Yeah. <laughs> or, something, or something along those lines. Yeah, he knew it would look dumb and get people talking. It was that simple. He that knows so he knows good. the game. That's incredible. What a worker. <laughs> really, really good stuff there for Jeff Jarrett. But um, uh, look, then we get on to our next match. It is Harlem Heat versus the Steiner brothers. And there is something weird, to me at least, in the crowd when you see a bunch of like frat guys doing the Harlem Heat raise the roof kind of uh, taunt thing. But um, my, my next note after that is just Larry Zabisco, dot, dot, <laughs> dot. God damn it. <laughs> My yeah, well, my <laughs> well, well, like my first note about him is literally says Larry Zabisco pains me. <laughs> um, yeah. But I did. Uh, speaking of those frat boys, I haven't heard about them as well as um, Nims. They missed Harlem Heat's pyro because they were focusing on those damn frat boys. Because <laughs> you see, like the you see their faces glow up red. It's like, well, that was their pyro, and you missed it. That's classic WCW production, though. Missing the pyro just so they could film those guys in the crowd. Yeah, it's very on brand for WCW. But uh, look, at this point in time, Harlem Heat, uh, you know, this you can, as you can see, they've got a fair bit of crowd favoritism in there too. The Steiners are just absolutely untouchable. They are the hottest thing in pro wrestling. Plus, at this point in time, how many times have they lost to the outsiders? Or actually, no, I'll rephrase. How many times have they beaten the outsiders but not won the tag team titles? Yeah, it, it, it's that long-term story of, like, the Steiners just keep getting screwed. They can never win those titles. I honestly don't know if they ever end up getting their, <laughs> you know, their comeuppance. But we just see the Steiners. It almost feels like the Steiners are in a holding pattern because of it. They peak yep. and they'll get in the match with the outsiders and then it'll be screwy and now they're wrestling Harlem Heat again, which is good. But yeah, I don't know if their moment ever comes. We're also seeing a we're seeing a Harlem Heat that is still motivated. Stevie Ray can do a bit of the work too. Like in later in later matches of Harlem Heat, it is very much Booker T doing all the heavy lifting. As you see, Stevie Ray, I, I don't think it's disrespectful if I say it, he does get a bit out of shape. Like, do you remember, like, you'd see him on the apron and he'd have the little balcony happening. It, Stevie Ray still can go here. We see a good mix of power and athleticism. Scott Steiner is still very, very agile, despite the fact that he is just 99.9% <laughs> away from Big Popper Pump. He's just some sunglasses and a bottle of dye uh, <laughs> from being Big Popper Pump here. But, um... I, I actually thought this was a really, really good match. Should point out too, Harlem Heat are coming out with Jacqueline, and the Steiners are coming out 
with Ted DiBiase. Now, they make constant mention how Ted DiBiase used to be in the NWO. He was this and that with the NWO, so no one knows the NWO more than, um, than Ted DiBiase. Now, Owen, you've seen a variety of matches and, you know, being a new age fan, you, your ex- expectations of tag team wrestling are a lot different to what it was when Simon and I were sort of growing up watching our sort of stuff. When you see a match like this with four, to quote Big E, big meaty men slapping meat and actually living up to the hype, uh, did it actually do it for you or were you, were you left wanting more and thinking, oh, look, I don't quite see the hype between the Harlem Heat and the Steiners. Hey, you, you two have known me for like three years now, four years now. You know my favorite wrestling is big meaty boys. Like <laughs> this, is, this is my shit. Like yeah. this is the stuff I, I watch wrestling for. Like, and my note, one of my notes here is I've seen these two tag teams work with each other pretty much every pay-per-view I've watched now for WCW shows. And I don't care because the matches they put on are always, I think this is the third time I've seen them work each other now, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and so. I don't care. Like their matches are so good because like I've got like like Booker T hits the ropes with like so fast with such ferocity and just fires himself into Rick Steiner and they just and like they just beat the four of them just beat the living hell out of each other. Like just this match is awesome. This style of tag team wrestling is awesome. I'm so about it. Um but ever since we brought it up. All I can think about and see is the multicolored boots of the Steiner. That's all I can think about now. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, you're absolutely spot on. Everything about this team—they just click. They work so well. Yeah. Simon, what did you like? Did you notice the the added intensity in terms of like it's not quite PG because there's a bit where Stevie Ray chokes Scott Steiner with a TV cable, and. Surely that's that's a DQ any time of the week, but you know there's just there's just always something added into these four guys when they go at it together. And um, we completely forgot to mention too, like we we talk about you know um, the great double team moves that Steiner did. Everyone seems to forget that Booker T and and Stevie Ray were actually a competent tag team together. It's like when people talk about Bret Hart, everyone forgets. Oh yeah, you know he started off as a tag team wrestler, like a tag team specialist. And a match like this shows off why they were one of the great tag teams in WCW. Yeah, I think um, Harlem Heat sort of had that classic tag team setup where it's the the faster guy and the bigger guy, kind of like the Hart Foundation, and then they do some really cool tag moves. Like in this match, we haven't seen it all the time from Harlem Heat, but they hit the Heat Seeker, which is, mm. you know, guy on the shoulders of Stevie Ray and Booker hits the missile dropkick. And you know, from the top, from the rope, yeah, from the top rope. Booker T always had an awesome missile drop kick, and yeah, you get high flying moves like that, and the really cool, like you know, impressive stuff. But then parts of this match just turned into a brawl, and all guys were just beating the hell out of each other. That was really cool. Like you mentioned, you know, choking on the outside with the cable. There was also one point on the outside though, where Stevie had Scott uh, Scott Steiner ready for Jacqueline to slap or punch. But for some reason she doesn't. And Scott just like wriggles free. And I couldn't figure out what happened there. Did Scott not want to get slapped by a woman? Did, I don't know what, (laughs) it just felt off. I noticed that too. And like, I, I thought, you know, in this, in the sense of the match, it's just like, Oh, he's just wriggled free. Like, because if, if the case is like, Oh, he didn't want to be hit by Jacqueline. He picked a pretty bad 
way out of it because Stevie Ray just threw him into a barricade no, no, seconds afterwards. Yeah, exactly. So I was just kind of like, do you want to be smacked by Jacqueline or yeah. do you want to go into the barricade? Barricade, please. <laughs> I feel like that's the choice Scott Steiner would make, though, especially if <laughs> throw yeah. me in the barricade. I'm fine. Um, <laughs> there was also one moment where, I don't know if you guys picked it up, I think the camera wasn't meant to pick it up, but Jacqueline was obviously messing with the crowd and because they were doing the wide shot from the hard camera, you see Jackie turn around, face the guys in the front row and shake her chest at them. Yes. <laughs> and you just hear a big cheer from the crowd. So that was good. <laughs> um, um, this- Go on. I was just going to say, because talk- you guys were talking about how good like the combined tag moves are of um, the Harlem Heat. The Heat Seeker is possibly one of the greatest tag team finishes of all time. Mm. Pretty awesome. It like, is a shame it, that it didn't didn't result in the finish for him. The <laughs> finish was it was my next note after that is it's a slightly lackluster finish. It because they kick because they kick out of the heat seeker and it's just this weird like combined like lariat German and it's the finish. The German lariat was really cool and that's a move that you know so many other teams have stolen ever since. I didn't expect that to be the finish though. That, that's that, not it, one it, of the Steiner's finishes. It really took. It was seeing as the last, like last month, they did the um, the Frankensteiner into the DDT. Yeah, yeah. we've seen it, them do it, all these crazy things. To end it on that was a bit weird. Yeah, it did seem odd, especially since there was no shenanigans or anything. It just seemed, sort of seemed like like a straight. Hey, how good was the heat seeker? Oh, by the way, one, two, three, <laughs> yeah, Steiner's yeah. win. So uh, yeah, yeah. So, look, that was a strange, a, still a stellar match, too. And so far, the pay-per-view is red hot. And as, as we roll on to our next match, this is for the TV championship. Alex Wright is the TV champion at the time, defending against Ultimo Dragon. There we go. And Simon, we have reached it. <laughs> we have finally reached it. This is the first pay-per-view that we've been watching because we thought there was maybe a Mandela effect that is <laughs> always the ultimate dragon. It's because we remember WCW and Revenge that we thought he was called the Ultimo Dragon. I was no- writing a note when the intros were being done and I heard Pensa go, Ultimo! And I was like, what, what? And I ran around <laughs> yeah. it. And I was like, Ultimo, <laughs> yes! Um, now, this, this is unfortunately, uh, speaking of the commentary, this is a, an awful lineup of, uh, of commentators at the moment. You've got a four-man booth of Bobby the Brain Heenan, Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco, and Mike Tanay. This is the stuff uh, of nightmares here. Thank uh, you very much. But um, but going back to the match, though, um, a pretty slow start. Very slow start from two guys that we know can turn it up. And it, I think it maybe took a, a bit of a while for them to gel together. Uh, mm. On what do you think? Now, my first note here is Alex Wright is playing hot potato with championships. Because last month he was cruiserweight, he was cruiserweight champion, mm-hmm. which I um found very interesting. And then four weeks later, he's the uh, TV title winner. But um, yeah, this was a really slow starter. My second note is that <laughs> is that Alex Wright's trunks were so fluoro, they were so blown out and overexposed on TV. Mm. <laughs> Did you notice that? It was just like this big like blotch of green going across the screen. They were also but, um, very tight and quite exposing for young <laughs> Alex right there. They were. Um see, I'm uh, this I haven't really seen much of his stuff, but I'm not convinced yet. Should I be convinced? Like should I give yeah. it should I give a crap or uh, Alex Wright's one of those guys who he's obviously technically very proficient and has kind very of talented. a fun 
gimmick, but it's one of those, it just doesn't come together. You know what, though? Actually, watching him back, I think if Alex Wright was wrestling right now in any indie promotion in the world, he'd be the most overdue in the world because he's basically a meme. The music, the dancing, the the jacket. How over would Alex Wright be right now I'm, if he came I out mean, dancing? If he if he was like openly homosexual, he's pretty much what Effie is now in GCW. Mm. All I can think of, I, I thought of it as you were as you were sort of going through uh, that, Simon. One thing that popped to my mind. If you're wondering what the appeal of Alex Wright was, I think it must be the dancing because all he is is Disco Inferno that can wrestle. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and honestly, how many times did they cut to the crowd of dudes in the crowd doing the doing Alex that. Wright dance? So, like, look, let's not play. At least he gave us that, the Alex yeah. Wright dance. <laughs> but um, uh, look, go on. I was going to say, back to the match, did you guys notice that and here's a serious, did Alex Wright invent the Styles Clash? <laughs> like, kind of looked like it. It was the Styles Clash, and they called like what? What? Like Shivani was like, oh, it's like a variation on Tombstone. It was pretty much a Styles Clash, just not set up very well. Probably why he didn't invent the Styles Clash. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because like he did. I'm like, this is very much a Styles Clash. So he falls forward, and it's yeah, I was I was quite impressed and shocked. And confused. <laughs> Look, Alex Wright was a very, very good hand uh, back mm-hmm. in the day. Like, and that's like, I, I think it was just overlooked because of the dancing. Like, he was yeah. that gimmicky that everyone just overlooked the fact that, like, oh, this guy can actually wrestle. It's like, no, no, play the music and do the dancing thing. We, we <laughs> love that because, because actually, a great way to sort of, um, um, sort of counteract that is remember when he was repackaged, Simon, as Berlin. Yeah. Mm. And he was just this big badass, and he came out with the wall. Because <laughs> Berlin, obviously. Uh, <laughs> and wasn't well, Berlin spelt with a Y? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was during 1999, where where Goldust was also seven, and it was just awful, awful time. But we can't wait till we get to those uh, pay per views, Simon, <laughs> just quietly. But um, yeah. Look, I thought it was a pretty smart. Uh, Kind of cool, a slow start, but it was a very when they finally sort of got their sync together, it worked out really, yeah. really good. I mm. did think it was pretty smart how Alex Wright seemed to sort of adapt to Ultimo Dragon, like he picked out counters. It very, very much was yeah. um, like a thinking man sort of match. Like he breaks the dragon sleeper with a foot on the rope. Like yeah. it's, it, and <laughs> the bit that popped me. He finishes with a German suplex. <laughs> of course he does. Like, that was his finisher. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or a domestic suplex. Uh, it was <laughs> yeah, exactly for him. It's just a suplex. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you guys notice um, on commentary that Shivani had no idea? Like he, he was like not sure on the time limit of TV title matches. He was like, sometimes they're 10 minutes, sometimes they're 15. On pay-per-view, there could be 15 or 20 minutes. This one might even be half an hour. He went through every possible timestamp and had no idea how long this match was. Covering all bases, <laughs> just covering himself. Although he's, like, well, he's, like, he, he's like, well, well, on Nitro, they're 10 or 15 minutes, but on pay-per-view, it could be 25 or 30. I'm like, make up your mind. <laughs> <laughs> there was the one bit of commentary where um, Bobby was saying that he saw Tony in the lobby at 3 a.m. dancing like Alex Wright. <laughs> And again, Tony Schiavone, modern times, of course, is great, goes along with jokes. But Tony Schiavone in 97, such a wet blanket. He's like, oh, oh. 
why would you say that? It's like just play Doesn't along. Sound like, yeah, it's like <laughs> I wouldn't do. I would do no such thing. Or then, and did you find just while we were on the topic of commentary, did you find it weird that Larry Zabisco seemed to really, really have a problem with him dancing? Like he was, he was to the level of like John Lithgow and Footloose levels of like <laughs> he just dances. Why is he keep <laughs> dancing? It's like, oh, dude, get over it. Pete, are and you, are you saying to the Alex point, Kevin Bacon? <laughs> well, yes. So, you know what? That's the difference between the WWE and WCW commentary at the time. WWE had their version of that with Jim Ross. The difference was JR would let his guard down sometimes and be sarcastic. He also had the exact opposite in Jerry Lawler. Whereas in, and, you know, they would play off each other. Whereas in WCW, when Bobby Heenan would go back to sort of his heelish ways or try and make a joke, Nobody plays along except yeah. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes, who sadly isn't there this month. So we're left with just dry white toast. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's so horrible. But yeah, like I mentioned, Alex Wright gets the win and uh, retains the TV championship. Um, that's about pretty much all I wrote about that one as we move to our next segment, which is another Mean Gene hotline plug. Now, he tries to plug the hotline, but the NWO walked past. Like, it was very Looney Tunes, don't you reckon? Like, it was just so, like, that dastardly NWO. Like, the entire segment just seemed like a parody of what's it. And, and we know, Simon, that he is, like, Gino is fantastic at these segments, but this was way too hammy for my liking. Yeah, he was doing a fake plug for the hotline. It felt like it wasn't even real. The number didn't even pop up. And then the NWO sneaked past the frame in front of him like a cartoon. And then he's like, oh, what are you doing there? When they walk back, he opens up a door that happens to be right next to him. And we see Kurt Hennig on the floor, like holding his head. He's been beat up. Before you, before you, he doesn't just open the door. He knocks on it first, which (laughs) popped me so much. Um, I am shocked that you two didn't pick up on Mean Gene destroying Tony Schiavone at the start of that segment. Shivani stumbled through his words and Mean Gene goes, all right, Tony, I knew we were going to try and get it out sooner or later. <laughs> Just rips him to shreds and goes into the segment. And yeah, and then Dick Dastardly, like, but like, um, Kevin, yeah, yeah. um, um, uh, Conan. Nash, See, I can't yeah. get my words out now. Nash Conan, it's it's um, Tony Schiavone getting his revenge on you know, <laughs> telepathically, but yeah, you're right. It, it is it, it's it's all it needed was like the you know Looney Tunes ding 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 kind of music yeah. to get there, and and then, and then he goes uh, and then to like try and tie it in to make it like a real um a, a real um hotline segment. Gene was worried about not getting his cut of the money. Did you <laughs> see that? <laughs> Which is actually probably true because he did sit out of WCW pay-per-view uh, because of uh, <laughs> some, some monetary issues. But yeah, oh, uh, a hammy segment too. And, and like, so funny. He also seemed like he generally, like, that was the most fake kind of um, concern for Kurt Hennig. Like, oh, so good. It was just, no, no, but he generally sort of seemed like, oh, I don't care if he's hurt, but oh, damn it, there's a camera here. <laughs> Somebody, quick, get some help. Yeah, he, he is hurt. He kept asking for help even when they cut back to the arena shot. The audio of Gene was still there where he's like, <laughs> Somebody, help. He, and he, he, hand, he handed up as if he was like like that stereotypical shot in like a dramatic movie when the, it's mm. raining and he jumps on his knees. He's like, ah! and just like screams yeah. into the distance. He was doing that. It was hilarious. 
it was he was just a couple of notches away from being the end of a 19, 1966 Batman, you know, will Batman escape? <laughs> 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 But uh, then we get to our next match, which is Dean Malenko versus Jeff Jarrett. Now, a line there that just absolutely popped me. Um, so, so Jeff Jarrett, this is for a shot at Mongo McMichael's US Championship. That's right. Mongo is the United States champion at this point in time. Who uh, Jeff, uh, Ric Flair? Because Ric Flair. No, no, because no, no, I think... Um, because didn't Eddie Guerrero have the belt? Then Six stole the belt from him. He surely Mongo hasn't been champion for that long, has he? No, 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 no. Because because then Ric Flair couldn't defend the title, and then maybe they handed it over or something like that. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, look, Mongo is the champion here, and uh, they, it's a footnote that no doubt surprises everyone as it does us. But um, the bit that popped me a little bit at the start was they're talking about like you know. How much of a technical master Dean Malenko is like? Dean Malenko is the man of a thousand holes, and Jeff Jarrett knows many holes as well. <laughs> it was just so good. But like I mentioned earlier, Jarrett's ability as a heel, combined with how over Dean Malenko was in 1997, makes this the heat on this match off the charts. Mm. It's brilliant. And it yeah. has no right being brilliant. I think I've mentioned it a few times when we've been watching these Jeff Jarrett matches on these WCW shows. I've referenced this match. I kept saying there's one match with Dean Malenko that's very good. And this was the one. Jeff Jarrett had his working boots on. Dean Malenko is, you know, up to the standard of Malenko in the era. This was very good. It wasn't too shenanigany for a, you know, double J match at the time, which usually ends with, a briefcase and Deborah and and Mongo and the Horsemen. This is just a wrestling match, and it's very yeah. good. And w- so, from what you've seen, la- so let's take into account last month's match where Jarrett gets himself pinned in that uh, elimination match. Compare it to this match, Owen. It's like chalk and cheese, don't you reckon? Mm. Yeah, well, I, I honestly, I actually only wrote three notes for this match because I was actually really into it. Yeah, it was surprisingly um, good. And like my main note is, it's just slow, methodical pro wrestling, and it's very, very entertaining for me, and I really enjoyed it. But I didn't realize that both these guys were second gen wrestlers, and that's I, I genuinely didn't realize they were both. So who were their fathers? I actually don't know this. So Jerry Jarrett was, um, Jerry Jarrett is of course uh, Jeff Jarrett's. Um, dad, Jerry Jarrett, very famous promoter back in Tennessee. He actually gave he actually gave Hulk Hogan his first break, didn't he? Yeah, back and, in the day. And in that era, and Jerry Jarrett was involved in the promotion with um, Jerry Lawler as well. So Smoky Mountain, yeah, in like Memphis. So okay, Jerry Jarrett was like one of the yeah big names in that era in terms of wrestling and promotion. Promotion. The other gave thing his first go too. The other thing they didn't mention, I suppose, Jeff Jarrett is technically a third-generation wrestling performer. His grandmother, Christine Jarrett, was a promoter. So Jeff Jarrett was literally born into it. So when you think of, like, why he was in wrestling and then in the promotional side of it for so long and why he seems to be such a smooth operator and always end up with a job, it's because he's been doing this, yeah, forever. Okay. Literally, it's literally, and Boris Malenko is uh, Dean Malenko's dad, is it? Yeah. 
That's right. And yeah. Dean Malenko's brother was a wrestler too. They were like a tag team back in the day, but his brother was older. So Dean was kind of the one who ended up, you know, in the big time, I guess. Okay. Yeah, cool. Um, also, the, yeah, and like my other note was um, when Deborah came out, did you see like Malenko just launch himself at Jarrett <laughs> and they both like spilled out of the ring? Like it was like he was running just he was just running for like a, a missing his flight and just ran straight in the chair and just blew him off the side of the ring and then the, then those tiny shenanigans happened but yeah this match was so entertaining it was perfect pro wrestling what and about- it was like yeah thoroughly sports entertained by this one yeah i was gonna say jeff jarrett even did a couple of like real nifty moves that you don't see a lot at yeah. one point he went for a punch but it was a fake out Dean Malenko like bent over Very because cold, of it, man. and then Jeff Jarrett hit a neck breaker. Like Jeff Jarrett, so good, awesome. And then the ending was so good. So Dean Malenko leapfrogs over Jeff Jarrett from behind, like he jumps over him, lands in front of him. Jeff Jarrett hits a chop block and then into the figure four to end it. What an awesome ending sequence as well. Like very good, better than anyone would have expected. I think. I. And look, we don't need to say it because, but I will say it anyway. Jeff Jarrett, my favorite wrestler, absolutely loved every moment of this match. And these are the ones where it sort of shows. I don't know how you, you can't show someone this match and they still think that Jeff Jarrett can't wrestle or never drew a dime. Like he was never a main, like a never a huge main eventer. Like he was a main eventer in the dying days of WCW, but wherever he was on the card, it was an entertaining match. And that, at the end of the day, and he'll even say it on his podcast, it's about making money and he knows how to make money. This is a guy that is, he's bailed up Vince McMahon twice, <laughs> like basically held him like twice for, for ransom. He is the, he's the only guy that was able to leverage going straight from a WCW, um, from a WWF pay-per-view to appearing on Nitro 24 hours later. He's been in the NWO, the reboot of the NWO. He's been in the Four Horsemen. He somehow managed to worm his way into the Bullet Club. He's been a AAA champion. Like, you don't do all this accidentally. Yeah, at a certain point, you can't be like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, he's obviously doing something right. He also flew. So in Hulk Hogan's return to Japan against Chono, he hasn't wrestled in Japan since like 1993. In 2004, Jeff Jarrett flies over there for one purpose, to smack Hogan with a guitar to try and set up a pay-per-view match between the two. That never happened. But that's how committed he is to the business. It's crazy. Anyway, we'll get on. Uh, I'll have a side note uh, here on the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network of... Uh, JJ's World, hosted by Nims as well. You're, you're um, looking on the bright side, though. The only bad thing about this match is that the winner has to wrestle Mongo, which means we are getting <laughs> Double J and Mongo again. God damn it. Let it oh, end. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it is the song that never ends, that one. But uh, <laughs> we, we, get to our next, uh, we, we get to our next segment, which is actually one of those world-famous paid announcements from the New World Order. It's Nash, Bagwell, Six, and Conan. <laughs> Seemed odd. It was just a, a collection of a collection of ramblings in black and white, is what I, I've written down here. I have two notes for this. Did you notice that? Did you see that whenever um Conan was talking, Nash and Six were looking at him as if to say, "Who the hell is this guy?" <laughs> they were like, "So they're like, who? What? Who's this Con- guy?" I noticed Conan hasn't come into his own yet. He b- ends up obviously being you know a memorable promo guy. 
He was putting on an extra accent here in this promo. Anyone notice that? He was putting on a voice and a face. It was weird. That feeds into my next note, which was Conan sounds like the stereotypical old lady in a sitcom who works at a diner and smokes three packs a day. Yeah, Mm. he was doing a real (laughs) good voice. Yeah. Like, how you going? Like that kind of thing. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I think that's what Nash Nash and Six must have vouched for him and told Bischoff, like, man, this guy's really funny. He's real entertaining, cuts a good, you know, tells good stories. And then on camera, he's doing this voice and they're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused. He also seems to have complete like unlike everyone else that joins the NWO, like they go through a massive wardrobe change. All Conan seemed to do was just find an NWO logo and smack it onto his tank top. (laughs) (laughs) But the best part about Conan is throughout the entire WCW run is he looks even in the, like he sticks out in the dungeon of doom because he's Conan and he dresses as Conan. He sticks out of the NWO because he's Conan dresses like, like what Conan (laughs) dresses like now is exactly what Conan has dressed forever in American wrestling. It's so strange. Uh, but we move on to our next match of the night, which is Mortis and Wrath. Do they have a name together? No, oh, I don't think so. It, it was always just Mortis and Wrath. Um, yeah, managed by James Vandenbergen. Uh, I was, I was going to say Vanderbeek for a second. <laughs> Again, I know Dawson. Dawson making his wrestling day. And also, when you say Wrath and Mortis, it's close to Rick and Morty, and that kept yeah. out in my head too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so Mortis and Wrath just to uh, emphasize it, Uh, take on Meng and Barbera in the faces of fear. Now, this is one of the stiffest matches on the planet. I don't (laughs) think there is anyone that goes into a uh, faces of fear match with kid gloves on because these got, oh, it's just a big man power match. Oh, and this is right up your alley. Um, Like one of my notes is literally the four of these men are throwing bombs at each other. (laughs) Like they were just clubbing each other with just full closed fists beating the ever-loving P155 out of each other. It was an absolute Barney. And on almost my match of the night, this was surprisingly fantastic. (laughs) I love this match so much. Um, Also, it did bring out the slight racist of Larry Zabisco, though. There was a lot of old-school commentary in this match saying that the faces of fear are going to have a bucket of fish waiting for them backstage and they're savage. And peanuts and bananas. Peanuts and bananas. But, and also, and then at the start of the match, he said he started mumbling something and then goes, although well-behaved, merely, merely a gorilla well-shaved. I rewound it three times to get the So did I. So it was yeah. Darwinian man, although well-behaved, is merely a gorilla, well-shaved. And I thought, Zabisco got that from somewhere. So I did the research. That's a (laughs) quote from the writer and playwright W.S. Gilbert, who wrote the plays The Pirates of Penzance and uh, HMS Pinafore. So there you go, Larry Zabisco, the cultured man. Gilbert (laughs) Gilbert and Sullivan. There you go, Larry Zabisco. Uh, He's a musical guy. Yeah, mixing in the musical theatre with wrestling to be racist. So yes. there we go. <laughs> yes. But um uh, look. Go on, on. There was one part I can't I was um mortis through like the stiffest power bomb I've ever seen in my life. And then <laughs> Heenan goes, 
That will pull the rigor in Mortis. And yeah, I, be- oh, yes. I absolutely <laughs> just bellowed out laughing. That was one of the greatest calls I've ever heard on commentary in my <laughs> life. It was so good. Absolutely fantastic, this match. And you, you sort of see too. So let's let's put it into perspective a little bit. We just saw, Simon, a, 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 a triple threat match between Savio Vega, Crush, and Farouk on the WWF um, scale, which, as you can see, Crush very much checked out uh, in that match. Whereas here, as Wrath, Brian Clark has really, really got the working boots on. There is even a very awesome superplex spot that Wrath and Mortis go and do where it's actually like not your regular superplex. Like, so he goes to do a suplex off the top rope and then another one on top. It's like a triple stack. Kinda. It was just mental. Oh, the electric chair superplex. That was yeah, sick. yeah. There you go. Yeah, it was yeah. incredible. And that was like something we would end up seeing on every episode of TNA Impact for like five years. The the mm. three way suplex spot in the corner. The yeah. holy, you know holy s chant moment of every X division match. These guys did it here, and it's also like when we're watching this, the dark side of the ring episode on Cone uh, on Canyon was a few weeks ago. And there was a big emphasis on how innovative he was and how awesome he was at coming up with moves. This match was a great showcase for it. We had that mm. electric chair suplex. We had a, a neck breaker power bomb that Wrath and Mortis sick. did as well. And each guy on their own did cool moves. But together, wow, Wrath and Mortis, who would have thought looking back on it, were really like we know the faces of fear are good. This match, I'm with Owen. This was close to my match of the night, too. This, this was, was so great. This was ahead of its time as well. Like, this was the type yeah. of match you'd see on, you know, a New Japan show or whatever. And feeding into that before I give away one of what I think is one of my funniest notes of the night, <laughs> Meng's hot tag is what heavyweight Amazing. hot tag should be. Mm. It was brilliant runs in just belts two guys in their head gets rid of the manager suplex suplex lariat it was just like a steam train of carnage it was so awesome but this is when it really kicked off and this is when i thought of it did you guys have you guys ever noticed obviously you've watched a lot more larry zibisco than i have did you ever notice that he sounds like he's got hot food stuck in his throat whenever he speaks (laughs) yeah because you know you know the way you talk when like you got something really yeah. stuck in the back of your throat, like, like hot chicken or something. Yeah. That's how he talks all the time. He's he's constantly talking like a man that's just swallowed tortellini that's too hot. <laughs> exactly. and, and, and it's just like I can't say anything because it's going down my throat. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like that. And there's a lot of peaks and valleys. His his mm. cadence is always up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah. He is just insufferable you're lucky you didn't have to watch nitro every week on because after yeah like zabisco was everyone's least favorite i i like mike tanay now <laughs> <laughs> well look the, the the other thing that you didn't live through as well uh, in the zabisco nitro commentary era is him constantly trying to get over the phrase new world odor <sighs> like oh my Whoa. He just would not. He it was it was the hill he chose to die on. But um, well, I think I, I remember from watching World War Three last year. I think he, he on, kept yeah. saying it like every single because he was commentating Ring Number Three with um yes, Terry the right. Tiger. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, so talking about the finish too, uh, Meng's got a double Tongan death grip on both Mortis and James Vandenbergen. 
Vanden Just say James Vandenberg. James Vandenberg. That's too, it. Yeah. Too many. Too many there. <laughs> Sinister Vandenberg. Minister. Let's just get yeah, his ECW. He's, he's got him on. He's got him on. He's got Father Mitchell and <laughs> um, and Mortis. And then out of nowhere, in comes Wrath uh, with the death sentence, which is kind of like a little rock bottom thing, breaks yeah. the hold and demolishes Meng. It's the a- most impressive finish you'll ever see. Gets the win. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, big meaty men slapping meat is essentially yeah. the best way to describe this. A really, Man. really fantastic match. How good was WCW's tag division in 96 and 97? Oh, yeah. Looking back on, on it, fire. It's, so good. it's like a main event scene. It's awesome. Yeah. Which makes it even more of a crime that throughout this era, the belts are just around Hall and Nash all the time. Who are the best, though? <laughs> like, every match yeah. of theirs is good. But, yeah, they're not just tag wrestlers. That's kind of the issue. Mm. Uh, we then get to our next little backstage segment. This has got Mean Gene with the Horseman. Uh, Chris Benoit, I reckon, probably has the best promo he's ever done in WCW. I specifically popped for the multiple references to the multiple Nash gimmicks. He's like, oh, we don't know who he is. You know, he's been so many different characters. Who is he? And uh, it just wraps up with a classic Nature Boy Ric Flair promo as well. And uh, anything else of note there, Simon? You're Look, right? all I want to say is they put this promo in the right order. It was Benoit, who I thought was terrible. Mongo, who was pretty good. I like Mongo as a face. And then Flair is the only one to actually mention Kurt Henning. Like, that's, you know, hey, man, he got <laughs> beat up. And then... Flair ramps it up to where his head is going to explode. It was like <laughs> the perfect Flair promo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I must say, I forgot how Canadian Chris Benoit was. How many times did he say a boot? In a this boot. One oh, promo? all yeah. the time. That's what made it click for me. Um, but Flair, the promo god, I think this is one of his best promos ever. Like, really good. When he goes, we will bleed, we will sweat, you will pay the price for life. I'm like, the guy is incredible. Yeah. yeah to, so- to, to start with Benoit and end with Flair, he is like on a scale of one to 100 with no middle ground. You've yeah. got to say that. This is Chris Benoit's best promo he's done in WCW because it's not wooden because normally beforehand, like he was the most stilted sort of like, I am a professional wrestler. And I will fight the man that is put in front of me. <laughs> good day, Mr. Oakland. Maybe on the, on the Benoit scale, it's good. But I guess <laughs> next to Mongo and Ric Flair, it's it's hard to have personality. This is true. Uh, we then get to our next match, which is, speaking of lack of personality, it's Scott Norton versus the Giants. <laughs> but got to say this, the crowd loves the Giant. And with, with the benefit of hindsight, because, you know, you'd know, oh, and... um. Paul White's work majority of the time. In fact, most wrestling fans know his work is the big show and his numerous heel heel turns and face turns and bloody bloody blah. Did you ever did you ever realize just how over he was as the giant until you saw this match? That's literally one of my notes. I didn't realize how over he was. Like the, he was like he was nuclearly hot. Like he was so massively over. Like it was deafening when he walked out, and when he put on the choke slam, it was like it was like Hogan was there. Yeah, it was massive. It was huge. So you know how like so they often sort of say like with with the WWF retcon, uh, sorry the WWE retelling of you know the WCW Monday Night Wars, how they go and say like oh when Big Show debuted, like because he was the first guy to come from WCW 
to WWF at the time. Mm. Like this was the fir- this was the sign that the tide was turning. Yeah, they're not exaggerating. Like literally, when he debuted at St Valentine's Day massacre, uh, St Valentine's Day's massacre in 1999, it was a huge deal. I mean, the guy got into a main event at WrestleMania just two years into his WWF run. Like, oh, Big Show was pretty big. Yeah, and I think the problem is too. It's hard to see it right now, but. WWE's thing was always WCW didn't know how to use him and, and, you know, they would do it justice. Right now, it looks like the Giant is doing well, but his 98, WCW ends up fumbling with him because you see how over he is as a face now. He's being kicked out of the NWO. Things look great for him, but, yeah, it takes another turn, sadly, in 98. Not that it's that bad, but it's not living up to his potential. But there is a bit too. Doesn't he break his neck as well? He injures his neck, yeah, and he also starts smoking as part of his character. Anyway, it's just (laughs) an absolute mess. You've got gold right here where we see the seven-foot giant do a hulk up where he lifts his hand up kind of like as his way of hulking up, and then he nipped up using the ropes, which is still impressive, and then it was chokeslam and it was over. The last was a dropkick too. Oh, I did a dropkick, then the chokeslam, but the last two minutes of this match are the loudest pop of the night so far. Yep. So they had something with the giant. Yeah. So when he does appear in the WWF and people sort of say, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. The big show's debut at WWF, that really got a pop. No, no, it did. He was very, very over back in the day. Um, just before we wrap this up, because as you said, giant did, does get the win in fairly quick succession. Is there any more of a wrestler that is an epitome of the NWO B team than Scott Norton? <laughs> Him or, him or Vincent are the B team to me. When I think of B team, straight away, it's Norton, it's Vincent. One, one bit of commentary that was funny, though, in this match was Zabisco saying, you know, like Zabisco is just angry about everything. He's indignant about everything. He's so smart and smug. He's He said that he surprised a guy like Norton, who's a former arm wrestling champion, would join the NWO. And I kept thinking... Whose image of an arm wrestler is this respectable <laughs> sportsman? To me, it's like the dirty guy in a bar, like champion yeah. arm wrestler. Who cares? Yeah. They are the guys who would join the NWO. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. I never understood to um, his little bricks uh, attire, like his trunks, like not trunks, his little singlet. Like, it just never made any sense. Although, to be fair, Buff Bagwell also had a similar sort of thing too. Maybe Vicious and Delicious, they thought about it and it never took off, but it was going to be like brick-themed for some reason. Yeah, because every time I see those bricks, I often think of the the video game Box Art to Super Street Fighter, uh, which <laughs> just has that. But, but anyway, look, um, Giant gets the win. As you said, massive, massive pop. He's incredibly over here. He's probably one of the biggest guys in the com- company at the moment size and in terms of popularity but uh, yeah. speaking of uh surprisingly popular uh lex luger and ddp take on scott hall and randy savage this is first off uh we should point out like lex luger is the quintessential I've, I've said this so many times and i'm going to keep saying it again lex luger is the epitome of how you play WCW and WRO Revenge because you got to do your taunt, you got to do your little moves, then you got to keep doing your taunt to build your special meter up, then you finally do a final taunt and then do your finisher <laughs> and then win the match. He's so formulaic. This is the it is the Lex Luger greatest hits, you know, the the double Irish whip, the it 
everything that you love from Lex Luger and wonder why it gets him so over, he does, and the crowd goes ballistic for it. And Simon, it, it, it this actually really is an interesting match, isn't it? Because it's it's sort of it's not quite a match; it's more of an angle kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, and and you know we saw Hall and Savage team up at the last show too, so they're doing a little thing here with Luger and Paige, who are super over. You mentioned Lex Luger running through the hits and you know giving the people what they want with his taunts during his entrance when he does you know the big pose with the pyro. Tony Schiavone goes, "There you see it, maybe the most recognizable upper body in sports." <laughs> I, heard that. I, I guess it is. <laughs> so that was good, but yeah, no, this was an interesting match. This was really good, really entertaining. Scott Hall is one of, if not the best wrestler on every WCW. <laughs> yeah, like he's yeah. awesome in this. And, and Randy Savage could still go pre-knee injury. Really yeah. good. Luger and Paige. Paige is getting more over. This was one of the first big DDP chants. So now mm-hmm. the crowd has the chant. Did you also notice the 10 topless guys in the crowd? During yes. this match, all doing like the Lex Luger stuff. This match yeah. felt like a party, basically. It was like just fun for 10 minutes. It and, was. And you can even emphasize that because Lex Luger is your drunk friend that disappears <laughs> under a table somewhere. Yeah. Uh, because there is a cool spot where, where Scott Hall wedges him between the two rings. It's in my notes here, I've got Luger pops up like some bum in a rubbish dumpster in a cartoon. <laughs> when he comes out, he's like, it's like what's, what's going on here? Um, but this match was awesome. The crowd were on fire. It's like someone just lit a match and lit the crowd on fire. The crowd was so hot about this. Um, I think each month I'm on this show, I'm become more and more like Luger Mark. <laughs> like I'm all aboard the I'm all aboard the Lex Express, even though I'm five years too late. Each, <laughs> like, each, each yeah, each time that you come on board of reliving the war, we top up your total package class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, just I want to quickly move back to the start to the entrance. So I'm always so impressed at how DDP and the Pyro team time the the Pyro to his jump. Every time he hits the ground, they pop the pyro and it's awesome. Um, but this whole thing, this whole match was sick. It was the craziest finish I've ever seen, though. It was wild. Yeah. Going just going back to the entrances, though. Um, unfortunately for you, Owen, like you miss on the the per- the perfection of DDP's entrance with the ripoff smells like teen spirit and the self high five because mm. they overdub it. Because literally DDP's entrance theme. Is smells like teen spirit. Oh yeah, I know the song. Yeah, in, in yeah. our old podcast, something I touched yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, but with, with that line of self high five, and then the <laughs> yeah, it's just so well done. And we're so, not we're not getting the real pop because of that as well. To hear yeah. the real reaction when his music first hits, totally different. Mm. Although I do like the dub song though; it's not bad. It it does have a very WCW Mayhem uh, video game. Um, attachment to it there. Can we go? Can we go just quickly before we talk about the finish? Can we just talk about Scott Hall sticking Lex Luger in between those two, <laughs> so in good. between those two rings, like he's just chased a spider behind the fridge <laughs> and trying to get it out? Because <laughs> it is such a good spot, and there is an like this is the part that I love too. Because normally in war games, we do see them utilize two rings, especially in, in like the cruiserweight match. Scott Hall. In this match, they use both rings. And a cool spot that I thought was like Macho in one ring, Hall in the other, 
Lex Luger wedged in between both of those. <laughs> so good. And you know what, though? They always say that Scott Hall, you know, has the great mind for the business, blah, blah, blah. He does the most creative thing with the two rings. Yeah. I've never seen it before. Yeah, it's so well done. To just to because the best part about it is the the commentators are just so flabbergasted by it. It's just like he he put him in. It's like well, there's no rule that says you can't put him in between the ring. And they they the best thing that I love about the WCW commentary team, which they did really well, and what also sold the threat of the NWO is when the NWO genuinely outsmarted them, they were so annoyed that the NWO is smart enough to outthink them. It's yeah. just one of the cool little things there. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, this is obviously, we mentioned that um, Larry Zabisco, oh, and you touched on the fact that Larry Zabisco gets involved in here. This is where the, and they would go on to have a big rivalry, which is in hindsight strange when you think about it, because was anyone really clamoring for a Scott Hall, Larry Zabisco rivalry back in the day? I think, see, as like watching it as a kid, it made no sense. Even as an adult, it's hard to make sense of it. I think if you were older than even, you and I, Nims, it would hmm. make sense because they feuded in the, in the AWA, AWA and they what, have so a they're history. Trying to, they're trying to take the AWA market. They're get already that, get they're... that lost AWA, you know, audience. <laughs> because, and I think it was also Scott Hall's way of sort of repaying Larry Zabisco because yeah. he was kind of a mentor to him. To be fair, like I hated Larry Zabisco as a kid and I hate watching him here, but look at how over it was with the crowd. So we weren't yeah. the audience. Like WWF kids weren't the audience. This was for the old dudes in the crowd. Yeah, this was specifically for Vern Gagne. <laughs> yeah. Also, this was the first one of the early times where we see Scott Hall doing the suck it because oh, he knocked yeah, out the, the ref, shop. stands over him, gives him the cross chop. And we also saw Shawn Michaels do it. At ground zero. The click, obviously, we're calling each other and we're like, hey, let's point at our dicks what? now. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I'll, I'll tell you, like, I've I, I put my last note in this match is thoroughly sports entertained. Oh, so I love how they use both rings. It was great. Mm. Yeah, it, was awesome. it, it really was an awesome match there. Uh, uh, we then get to... What about uh, the confusing G- ending? We should explain it for anyone who oh, isn't yeah, yeah. watching Sorry. it. Sorry, yeah. So... The ref is knocked out because Scott Hall knocked him out. Lex Luger starts crawling from the middle of the ring, making his comeback. Larry Zabisco well, is I think so- it'll re- Dial it back a little bit more because so, so they've separated. So Lex Luger is in between the two rings. You've got Macho Man and DDP essentially continuing their feud in ring number one. Meanwhile, for some reason, Scott Hall has decided to just sh- push around referees in ring number two. Yeah, but the, the camera missed the first ref bump too because they were focusing on Elizabeth um, choking out um, DDP. Mm. You yeah. only saw it in like, the background. Yeah. So that all happens. And then Larry is so annoyed at the NWO and he's disgusted. So Larry gets up from the announce team. Goes because the second ring- referee comes out. Mickey J comes out too. Yeah. Mm. So Larry Zabisco is sort of the only authority now. There's no refs. Hall's taken him out. The crowd gets louder and louder as Larry gets to the ring. They start chanting Larry. He's starting to crawl on the far side of the ring. On the opposite side of the ring, which is the middle of the two rings, Lex Luger is getting up. Scott Hall is only watching Larry's Abisco. As Larry walks into the ring, Lex Luger is crawling behind Scott Hall like a kid in high school about to, you know, (laughs) duck behind for the push. 
and Larry does it. He pushes Scott Hall into a small package, and for some late reason, Larry Zabisco counts to three, and the music plays, and it's counted as a pinfall. And the crowd it's just a fast count too. I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. He fast counts, but for some reason, the music plays. It was official. And then the best part about that, at the end, you get the indignant Scott Hall. This We were talking before, I think it was off air, about um, Scott Hall after he lost to the one, two, three kid. That is exactly yeah. that same reaction. <laughs> but, yeah, a very, very good match there. I strongly recommend that you check that one out. Uh, then we get to uh, another little shill from Gene Oakland. Gene's been off his game. Have you noticed that Gino's been off his game with the shills this pay-per-view? Yeah, he's he's been thrown off by the whole Kurt Hennig thing. I think he didn't get to yeah. do a real sell for the uh, for the hotline. <laughs> I think it's because it, it must be the glasses. He's he, he hasn't worn glasses before, and he's got popped the glasses on. And I think it's taken all of his power. <laughs> he doesn't feel confident wearing the glasses. <laughs> Says no. the three guys who are currently wearing yeah, glasses. <laughs> uh, we then get to a quick little uh, Halloween havoc ad. Uh, it's got Macho Man Randy Savage in it. Uh, for anyone that's... through the madness. That was my <laughs> yeah, that... favorite line from the entire promo. Now, I know that Macho Man and Slim Jim have got a long-standing uh, relationship, but people forget the iconic duo that is Halloween Havoc and Slim Jim. Yeah, this is the triple threat of WCW in October. <laughs> Slim Jim, Macho Man, Halloween Havoc. He had it made. He was the face of Halloween Havoc every time with Slim Jim. <laughs> So good, so good. Finally, we get to our main event, and Michael Buffer does his intro. This time, he doesn't look as disinterested as he normally does. He's into uh, it. I think he's definitely into it. I think it's because he has to be there for the entire tenure yeah, of the yeah. match. <laughs> See, I've I put the opposite. I've I, I said I've never noticed how emotionless Buffer is when he talks. Oh no, no, oh. he always is. But for Michael Buffer, this is <laughs> yeah, like. This is this is the equivalent of him, like you know, shooting fireworks out of his ears and <laughs> having sparkles. As he does. This is the most animated you are going to get, Michael Buffer. Uh, he's basically a talking wax museum figure. Uh, <laughs> how, could, best- how, could, how good was the cage lowering? Oh my hmm. god, there was so much pyro. Now, pyro, did you- the cage had its own theme song when it was coming down. It was cool. Yeah, the coolest song ever. <laughs> yeah. That song was sick. Now, did you, like, he also goes through the rules of war games, which are just overly complicated for anyone that's never watched a war. Isn't it funny? Like, if you've never watched war games, it seems like, like, hang on, what, there's five periods and five minutes in the first period, then there's, it's determined by the toss of a coin who goes in first, and then two-minute periods. Like, it sounds so weird. But and then the watched- match doesn't start until everyone's in, and then it's called then, the match beyond, and then and you then can you only carry, win by submission. And then you carry the one and multiply the <laughs> remainder, and then you get the square root of that. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, but, like, if you've watched enough war games matches, when you're sitting there going, all right, we're into the first period. This is going to be fantastic. Two minutes left. It, it's so strange how quickly that happens. But, um, yeah, this one was different. And I don't recall this, but um, the NWO teams and the WCW teams enter all together. Is that's unusual, isn't it? Because normally they'd run it's, like that's the whole point. It's a lottery, isn't it? You don't yeah. know who's coming out next. Well, like when didn't NXT do it um, a couple of years ago when they locked them all in shark cages? Yeah, NXT's played with that too, where they have to be in cages on the ramp. I think, you know what, I feel like with War Games, they change that part of it every time. Sometimes they're backstage, sometimes they're at the ring, sometimes they're in a shark cage. Nobody knows the, the, you know, official canon rules of a War Games match. 
I especially did, because this raw games is you need a that you need to s- surrender or have a submission. Yeah. I, I did like how they entered from opposite ends of the cage, though. That was really cool. Mm. I really, really liked that. The only bit that I disliked about all the teams being out there is you missed out the fun of someone running down the ramp like incredibly fast, then like trying to find the entrance to where the cage is. Like, <laughs> Lex, Lex Luger is infamous for that one where he sort of piss bolts down the ramp and then sort of like, hang on. And he, he does the whole, you know, touch the cage sort of to thing find to find the, the door. door. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good to see Lex Luger in War Games. But yeah, so we, we get Benoit and Bagwell in first and, the more I watched 1997 WCW, the more and more that I think the video game WCW and WR Revenge is the most accurate portrayal of a wrestling simulator you will ever get because that's basically what happens here. It's a Chris Benoit is the MVP of this match by far. Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. He opens yeah. the match and basically runs around like a maniac, beating up Buff and then kind of carrying the whole match. From you know a wrestling point of view, he I think Benoit is hitting his peak only in the past few matches for me in WCW. He looked really good in this. Okay, so like Benoit being in a main event, he sort of earned it, I suppose, at this point. The one guy in this match though who didn't earn it is Conan. How did he go oh. from having the worst matches we've ever seen to being in War Games in the main event? <laughs> like, oh, he wasn't even the in top- the NWO two months ago. On the topic of Conan, so is it just me? Or when he enters, does he not do the dumbest top rope move in history? So yeah. he, he gets into the ring, climbs on the top rope, and then gets taken out by Benoit. <laughs> yeah, and did you notice, and, that, and that's what made me write this note, the roof was so low, you can't do top rope moves. He, yeah. he hits his head on the, on the cage. Well, that's what War Games was like. And, you know, it led to a scary neck injury for for Brian Pillman back in the day. You would see some real close calls. I don't know. You know, a lot of people say, oh, why did NXT take the roof off War Games? Probably because of that. Yeah. What happened to Pillman? I don't know what happened to Pillman. So Sid Justice, or was he still? No, Sid Vicious back then. Sid Vicious. Now, Sid Vicious, who is a big drink of water, as we already know. So Mm. him standing in the cage could probably do this and touch the top with relative amount of slack. He gets a powerbomb pretty high. He went to powerbomb Pillman and did the full motion. Pillman smacks his head on the top of the cage and then gets powerbombed afterwards. So it's a double whammy. Oh, yuck. And also because he gets, you know, he can't do the full sort of protect he can't himself. Do the, he can't do the, the proper... Um, kind of dropped him on his neck. Grace. Yeah. yeah. So not only has he just jarred his neck up against the top of the cage, <laughs> he then drops him on his head. So it was a very scary moment there too. Oh, so okay. yeah, I'm fully with uh, Simon there when it comes to the oh, but War Games has a roof on it, like whatever. But now it's a really high cage. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, yeah pretty much. Um, yeah. So Conan is uh, like I said, he's in next, followed by Mongo. Six uh, then comes into and he gets taken out by Chris Benoit. Benoit just absolutely having yeah, six bumps up. like an absolute madman. Mm. Yeah, he was, he, he was thrown to the cage and then thrown to the cage again and took this absolute disgusting head bump. It was he was bumping like an absolute superstar. Six did take a bump into the roof that looked awesome though because Mongo yeah. gave him like the one man flapjack kind of thing and just threw him into the roof and then into the ground. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, yeah, very, very cool. Like you can't you can't deny that Mongo had strength. Like the guy was a former well, he won a Super Bowl, didn't he? Yeah. Is that he the whole Super Bowl? It was a five-time All-American and won a Super Bowl. And later on, on later episodes of uh, Nitro, a commentator with a little chihuahua mm. that, that he kept there for the full Pepe. two slash three hours. Pepe, that's the one. <laughs> I do want to say the commentary in this match, I think it was early on, uh, Bobby Heenan was running through the strengths of the NWO and he was saying, you know, Nash has the size, the speed of six, the power of Bagwell and Conan. Conan will get into any kind of fight. Like he has no <laughs> defining <laughs> attribute for nothing. Conan. <laughs> it's always like he's just like, look, look, I have three guys to think of as I get through it. Like right, Nash, I'm like, oh, no, I'm getting to Conan. Um, Conan. <laughs> yeah. Looks fantastic in flannel. <laughs> Spe- <laughs> speaking of has talking, a great though- collection of flannies. Speaking of talking, though, they should have just let Michael Buffer just count down the entire match because he was talking for like 80% of this match. 40, a minute left, 45 seconds, 30 seconds, and just kept talking the entire match. Conan, this is the war games. Just, yeah. yeah. It's the most work that Michael Buffer has done in a main event in a very long time. He probably made half a mil. (laughs) I reckon. Well, a lot of WCW, they would get him out for random nitros too. Like they would open the checkbook for Michael Buffer to do the let's get ready to rumble. Um, Flair also, when he, when Flair gets in there, mixes it up with six, uh, continuing their little feud from a couple of months ago, if for those playing at home. And Kevin Nash has definitely got his working boots on here. Like a motivated Nash is damn good. Yeah. He gives Mongo the meanest kick to the face because Nash comes in and just starts big booting everyone. I don't know if Mongo just wasn't ready for it, but almost <laughs> kicks him in the side of the head. It looked awesome. Speaking of kicks to the face, literally as Flair entered the ring, Six kicked the hell out of Mongo's face. <laughs> he did like a fly. He did like he did like a flying like just like a flying karate kick, and literally it was just like boot, and his head just whipped. He just. Copped him straight in the head. It was oh, glorious. It, it, it's it, it's an interesting one too because like Wargan WCW seemed to have a lot of you know teach him some respect in the middle of the ring sort of uh, things happening there. And the fact that Mongo was a former ex football player and in the Horsemen makes me think that those kicks and were just a little bit maybe a bit too much salt and pepper on that steak, so to speak. Um, also, is there any is there a, a more iconic duo? Than Ric Flair doing low blows in war games. <laughs> yeah, it just feels right. That's Ric Flair's <laughs> at home doing that. <laughs> oh, we should also uh, mention so Kurt Henny comes out um, mid match. So, and the whole thing is like, oh, WCW going to be a man down because Kurt Henning's been attacked. So he's backstage. So he comes out, his arms in a sling. He goes to the full rigmarole about, like, oh, look. Look, I'll do my best because he's got a lot of heart. Remember? They keep saying he's got a lot of heart and then it's rebutted like seconds later with always like, but he's he's injured. He can't get into War Games. War Games is the match beyond. And uh, it turns out that dastardly Kurt Hedick, oh, he's the game changer, but not the way that WCW wanted. I legit pop for this because obviously, I I mean, I... Did, I didn't know. Like, I knew Kurt Henning was a part of NWO for a little bit, but I didn't know how it came to be. I legitimately popped for this moment. I was like, what? Like, I was genuinely blown away. This was great. 
Yeah, when he runs in, because he's got a brace on his arm, he runs in, you think he's going to, you know, try and fight with one arm valiantly. He rips the the brace off and he's got handcuffs, but you think, oh, cool, he's outsmarted the NWO. And then, nope, he just starts punching the horseman with the handcuffs. And And throws the handcuffs to Nash and to, um, to Conan. So cool. I loved it. One thing that I don't know if it's accidental, but uh, it seemed to work by design, was the fact that anyone knew that joined the NWO, almost everyone that did join the NWO sort of had a WWF link. So you could kind of, and it fed to the narrative of like, you know, oh, it's the WWF coming in to take over WCW because anyone that, like you could very easily argue, it's like, oh, well, why would Kurt Hennig do that? Of course, because they were in the WWF together. That's why he's given Nash, who used to also be in the, like everything made sense that way, as opposed to, I guess, nowadays where you don't really have too many backstories. And it's like, why did why did Kevin Owens do that to, you know, uh, yeah. whoever? So it was a nice little bit of, um, a nice little bit of storytelling there. But then it just turns into an absolute mugging by the NWO. Did we point out too that there was the chant for "We Want Sting"? Yeah, I, I I had a note for that, but it was the first. It was probably the first time that I've been watching these shows with you guys where it, it started that late in the show. Yeah, like that was the first in, Sting chance we had all night. Yeah, no other match got it. Usually, it happens in like every kind of NWO screwy match, but yeah, they saved it for the main event, and we didn't get Sting again. Yeah, uh, not only that too, but like, like I said, it's an absolute mugging by the NWO. They just go to, t- and it is brutal. It is absolutely brutal because they handcuff Benoit, they handcuff, um, they handcuff Mongo as well. Beat the ever-loving tar out of both of them. Try to get them to surrender as they just pummel Ric Flair. Mongo eventually surrenders because they put Ric Flair's head at the door of the cage and threaten to quote, quote Nash. Give him the guillotine. Yeah. And Mongo surrenders because obviously he doesn't want to see Ric Flair's head be smashed by a cage. That dastardly NWO, Kurt Hennig smacks in one of the... Like, I don't know how you can fake that, but he just managed to smack Ric Flair's... That was horrendous. Yeah, it was crazy. Absolutely crazy. The show ends with the massive downer of... um, the NWO winning because we've noticed too, Simon, in the past couple of months, WCW has been getting the upper hand. Yeah. The tide is turning back towards the NWO. It's those downer endings again. Yeah. Mm. We, we had a couple of happy endings, like in the six man that, you know, um, Flair and Mongo and Kevin Green won against the NWO. So we've had a couple of happy endings, but this was like classic NWO downer. You know, we saw Luger and the Giant beat. Uh, Rodman and Hogan. So we had a happy ending there, but this was like nut. We're building it again for the NWO. Sting didn't show up. There is no hope. Ric Flair is dead. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the pay-per-view ends so abruptly. WCW just didn't know how to end a pay-per-view. <laughs> like if they don't, if they don't have to cut off the talent from doing a promo, they have to pad for 50 minutes because they've timed out too early. They have to literally go, we're out of time. We're done. See. Don't forget Nitro. Like this one, just they just didn't know how to wrap it up. But uh, yeah. yeah, look, just to emphasize how dead the crowd is towards the end of it and lifeless. And to be fair, like it, it was a solid wrestling match. But could you imagine walking back to your car uh, in Flair Country, watching the Horsemen 
be beaten in their own match war games by the NWO and not even the proper NWO. It's Nash and what would, you know, Nash and Associates. It's Nash Six who, you know, they're kind of legit, but Buff and Conan beat the Horsemen in war games doesn't feel right when you yeah. say it out loud. <laughs> Yeah, so um, look, that wraps up the pay-per-view. Um, despite the fact that it ends on a downer, it's meant to end on a downer. It's done by yeah. design. It's not like at the end of Extreme Rules where you're like, what the hell happened there? Like, it's this is a, a downer by design, which yeah. I guess kudos to WCW and it sets <laughs> up uh, to Halloween Havoc a little bit later on. But uh, what do we think of this one? Because I'm going to give this pay-per-view two solid thumbs up. Hmm. I think this was the best WCW I've watched with you guys. I think that, like this was. I can't really pick a bad match. Like yeah, I genuinely like oh yeah oh I Alex honestly, Wright yeah. and Ultimo Dragon was the worst match, but it wasn't horrible. It was good though. Exactly, yeah, it wasn't, it, it wasn't it, a bad match. It, it was serviceable. Yeah. Like mm. yeah, this this whole show was really really good. Like I can't really think of anything I didn't like. Like yeah, like Jared like Jared Malenko was like a pro wrestling masterclass. Like he, he, like Norton Norton and the Giant was just two big boys beating mm. it, beating the crap out of each other to put Giant over. Like it was this whole show was great. I'd, I'd probably give it like an eight and a half out of 10, mm. like that higher, 100%. Yeah, I think it was one of the best pay-per-views of the year from either WCW or the WWE. I wasn't expecting it to be this good. I remembered War Games and that shot of Flair getting his head smashed. But yeah, the whole pay-per-view from start to finish was very, very entertaining. Mm. Yeah, and so, I mean, we've touched on this beforehand about how like WWF pay-per-views just seem to be paced so well. Even a bad uh, match in the WWF pay-per-view just seems there's always there's always something that you can salvage out of it, and they just keep the momentum going along. This pay-per-view, whereas WCW sort of have the down spots where you I don't know watching fire and ice explode, and you're <laughs> like, oh god, this is just awful. Whereas this one, there was no real bathroom break matches. There was no real, it was just go, 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 go. There was nothing that really slowed it down. Everything was good. And like you said, oh, and you touched on it as well. When the worst match is Ultimo Dragon versus Alex Wright, which yeah. stacked it up against any other Cruiserweight match, and it's still pretty good. It's just, it's a, it's an, it's a B plus match that's surrounded by a bunch of A's. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like, Everything was so enjoyable. Like I watched this. I watched this over the course of a couple of hours, just drifting in and out, hmm. like from like out of the house and stuff. But this whole show was so good. Like, and that's why I want to go back and watch like the like the two the nitros, yeah, like the two leading nitros because it was that. Like this was genuinely very enjoyable to watch. Um, and like you know, like, obviously, like I guess the quality of wrestling itself has improved since then. But the actual quality of wrestling on this show was probably stands up and that's probably why i enjoyed it so much because it stood up so much like today yeah yeah definitely like for example you know you could watch uh you could watch like wrestlemania 5 and just sort of be like oh yeah this is pretty good in fact it's like never go back and re-watch wrestlemania 1 because it's not yeah. really a good show no but um yeah like you know like when like when i'm saying that like my favorite match of the night was wrath and mortis versus the faces of fear like this show was so good. Mm. Yeah. Hell yeah. It, it is very, very cool. And it had something for everything. It had your, your technical masterpieces. It had the shenanigany sports entertainment sort of stuff. It really did have it all. And it worked perfectly to had the big match hype of war games towards the end of it. But um, so before we wrap up, 
Let's go through our MVPs. We'll start off with you, Simon. Who do you think gets the award? Oh, this one is a tricky one. Um, it's a very tough one, isn't it? Hmm, I'm just looking at the match rundown again. Oh, it's hard to it's hard to single sorry. someone out. It really is because you can argue like you could argue Scott Hall was the MVP here. You could argue he that DDP very, very was. You could argue DDP was. You could even argue I'd actually I'll start us off. I'll start us off because I know very clearly who I think Same, is the MVP yeah. here. Kevin Nash. Ooh, okay. Because okay. the reason I say that is because he's the constant thread throughout the entire pay-per-view. Like he sort of leads that ambush on um on mean during the first mean gene segment. Like yeah. he's the architect of that. He then has that NWO promo where he basically is the glue that keeps it together. During that horseman promo, he's the one that's targeted because he's the quote unquote real member of the NWO. Yeah. During the match, during the War Games match, he's the clear leader here. So Nash really stars in this one. He's doing a lot of the heavy lifting on behalf of the NWO in a pay-per-view where you've got Scott Hall taking a loss and no Hollywood Hogan. Okay, that makes sense. That's a good argument. I can't think of who stood out more than that. Okay. My my MVP is different. And I'm not just just saying this to be like, oh, he's going to be different. (laughs) Genuinely, like hands down to me, my MVP was Mortis. Like Wrath and Mortis. Probably actually no, I'll go Wrath and Mortis mm-hmm. just because they're a tag team. Like I wasn't convinced the past two past two shows they've been on, but absolutely mind blown. And like Chris Canyon is such a good wrestler anyway. Very good. Unfortunately yeah. taken too soon. And Brian Clark was a great wrestler as well. But like absolutely hands down some of the best tag team wrestling I've seen in a long time. I, I say in a long time, like, like it's a current show, but like <laughs> the best tag team wrestling I've seen, like yeah, the from way that they, era. well, yeah. And like, cause they're against two of the, probably the, like two of the, probably the best or un- most underrated tag, like tag team rest of all time being Barbarian and Meng. They bought it to them. And like, cause that was super gimmicky anyway, but the way they just were, you know, throwing absolute potato punches and taking them and those like, you know, that, yeah, like electric chair um, power, like the electric chair superplex and everything like that. This whole thing, like they were so good. So yeah, my MVP is Wrath and Mortis. All right. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Jeff Jarrett for finally having the good (laughs) match that I kept trying to remember. And honestly, it was really good. I it thought was, he, yeah. he was solid on this. I'm going to give it to him. Might be his last one for a while. So, yeah. I'm going to underline that one and say it probably is his last <laughs> one for a while, <laughs> especially since the next thing on the horizon he, on his uh, dance partner card is Mongo McMichael. So um, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I haven't, I can't even remember the match that he had with Mongo, but I guarantee you that briefcase is going to be involved. <laughs> 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 the Halliburton. He got the Halliburton. But, um, hey, look, we have got uh, plenty more to get through here on Reliving the War. Coming up, we've got Halloween Havoc. And, Owen, I hope you'll be joining us for that one as well. Uh, I know for a fact that Gato-san is on Halloween Havoc 1997 at Chris Jericho, so I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> Simon and I have got a back-to-back WWF pay-per-view coming up uh, because we have got one night only uh, from UK, their first UK exclusive pay-per-view, which is kind of cool. Oh. And we've also got the infamous Bad Blood 1997, which, of course, 
has the debut of that that's gotta be Kane. <laughs> the debut of Kane, the first ever Hell in a Cell match, one of the best matches of all time. I can't wait. And also, one night only, we were talking about, you know, a downer by design at the end of War Games. Talk about a downer by design oh. at one night only and heat from the crowd. I think WWE tops WCW there. I can't wait to watch that pay-per-view again. It's going to be insane. But, uh, hey, look, um, Owen, thanks for joining us, man. We'll catch you for the next WCW pay-per-view. And uh, we'll sneak you in on a WWF pay-per-view or two as well so you can see what the hype is about uh, pre-Attitude Era WWF. Yeah, it sounds good to me. Thanks as always, guys. I've really enjoyed, I guess, living the war for me because it's the first time <laughs> I've been watching these. As I, I said to you guys, I'll jump on all the time because, yeah, if it, look, it's probably not going to be, but if the wrestling was as good as this show, I'm in. <laughs> hey, look, it, it, and the standard was actually really, really good. It's it, it's when people sort of say that what we're currently going through at the moment with WWE and AEW and, you know, companies like easily accessible like Impact, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor existing. Um, <laughs> there, There is, we are back and we are slowly getting back to that feel of attitude era where one company's trying to out outdo the other one i mean yeah. do you reckon that there's it's any coincidence simon that after this war games match the next domestic wwf pay-per-view involves hell in a cell i don't know if they had it planned already because obviously there was going to be a rematch with Shawn michaels and the undertaker but yeah i don't know getting two huge cage matches back to back basically yeah so it is it, like enjoy wrestling for what it is now but we are reliving what it was back then and reliving the war uh, i've been nims as always joined by my tag team partner simon tackler if you would like to keep up to date on everything that's happening in the gray wolf entertainment network go to gray wolf ent on the socials make sure you check out some of the offerings there we've got some great wrestling content especially for impact fans too but uh we will catch you next time for another edition of Reliving the War, it is one night only right here on the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.